Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the 244th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a shallow cross across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Yeah, just trying to move the sticks, man. Just get your get the best player uh, the ball in space and let's rock and roll. Oh, wait, we're talking... Uh talking podcast or are we talking actual football? We're talking a little bit of both here today. Can't get started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who has a hard time waiting to open Christmas presents. It's our intrepid blogger <laughs> from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. I'm not a big surprise person. I, I like to know stuff, but um, <clears throat> just to pull back the curtain a little bit on the show, which I sometimes like to do, we're recording this Friday morning to try and avoid having too many games get canceled on us and one already has been uh so hopefully the other ones make it to tomorrow hmm. ain't that the truth all right well we have had a couple games recorded or recorded postponed on us they so they will not be recorded but we want to remind you guys before we get into talking about the games that are going to happen uh we here at legal motion are sponsored by betonline.ag uh over at betonline.ag, the football season is in full swing, and while you may not be at the games this year, you can still hear the Purdue train in the background and be in on the action at Bet Online. So from game spreads to totals, team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sports book experts. It is championship week, also known as week 16 this season. And even though there are championship games, there are also non-championship games that we will talk about a little bit later. But we're going to start, unlike we do most weeks, in the ACC because the ACC title game is the biggest matchup of the weekend. Number two, Notre Dame. Number three, Clemson facing off against each other this time in the rematch we've got trevor lawrence and coach is that going to be the difference in this one are we going to see clemson win because they have trevor lawrence back and not dj uyunga lele this time i think it helps i mean if you look at the if you look at the betting line it's uh 10 and a half on uh, on betonline.ag and i thought that really stood out to me when i was talking to israel uh, a couple days ago or actually yesterday um seemed like a couple days ago but uh, i mean it's got to be you know He's the number one – he'll be the number one player in the NFL draft uh, for a reason. He's the best quarterback in the country for a reason. He sparks that offense, and he really gets that team going. And with him, they can really score and score quick and score often and, and really just kind of overwhelm you offensively. Without him, it seemed a little bit more uh, laborious. They had to, to they had to lean on ETN probably a little more than they want to. Uh, with uh, with DJ, uh, Big, yeah, Big Cinco, um, DJ Ukulele for old times' sake. Uh, but uh, I think it just they they run smoother with with Lawrence in there, and, and it's uh, 
you know, they they run better. They have more confidence. The receivers run. I feel like the receivers run better routes with with Lawrence in there because they know that he can put it on a dime. Uh, they they run tempo a lot better because obviously uh, Lawrence is uh, his third year in the system and and he can essentially call plays on the field himself. So they can go they can go tempo a little bit more than they can with with Big Cinco. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on Notre Dame's defense to uh, to be able to keep up with that stuff. But I mean this game's going to be a shootout anyway, regardless of who's quarterback for Clemson. This game is going to be a high scoring uh, shootout affair. It's just a matter of if uh, honestly if if Ian Book can can. Uh, can keep pace at this point. Josh, will Ian Book keep pace? Yeah, I'm, I'm missing something. Did they announce that Trevor Lawrence is a two-way player? Is he playing defense? Because last time I checked, when they had their first game, Notre Dame put up over 500 yards of offense, 47 points, 310 through the air, and most embarrassingly for Clemson's mighty pride, prideful front seven, the Irish had 208 rushing yards. So, yes, Lawrence is a game changer, but unless the Clemson defense figures out what to do against Notre Dame, the upset potential is still there. And Ian Book had a hell of a game a couple weeks ago against Clemson. No reason why he can't do it again. If there is one thing, though, that does change obviously uh the turnovers three lost fumbles for clemson in the first game it's a lot of bad football bounce luck the odds of that happening again i'm sure the bet ag people are putting extremely long odds on that happening again so i don't think it's necessarily about trevor lawrence or what ian book does or what this high-powered notre dame offense does I think it's all about the Clemson defense. If they perform as poorly as they did in the first game, the Irish, I think, have a fantastic chance of winning this one again because the Irish are built on their defense much more than their offense. That's Brian Kelly's identity. If the Clemson defense plays up to their potential, then this one could be a lights-out situation and Clemson just looks like the uh, national title favorite so many people have them being. I think the biggest thing for Clemson, obviously, like you said, Josh, is going to be slowing down Kyron Williams. He has been pretty under the radar this year for a top-tier running back. I mean, he's already got over a 1,000 yards on the season, 12 scores, and he's really been a workhorse. Ian Book, yes, he does get a lot of action from being on the ground. He does do a good job of using his legs when he needs to. But Kyron Williams is really sort of, I think, the engine in a lot of ways that makes the Notre Dame offense go. And he went off in the last game against Clemson. And if he goes off again, I think it's going to be very tough sledding for the Tigers here in this one. I do imagine that they will win. You know, I still think that at the end of the day, Clemson just has so much more talent, even with things like opt-outs and whatnot. Obviously, if Clemson had a guy like Justin Ross who opted out for the season, I think you'd see an even bigger spread because I'm not sure that Notre Dame has the cornerbacks or just the secondary in general to slow those guys down. They're going to have to double-team Amari Rogers a lot in this one, and that may free up some of the younger 
receivers for Clemson, who we know are a very talented coach, but maybe haven't necessarily gotten all of the exposure, all of the targets that a guy like Rogers does. Exactly. And, and you're going to have to, you know, we're going to see what they got, honestly. Um, and we're going to see just kind of what they can do, see if Notre Dame can stop them, see if they can get involved heavily in the offense, things like that. So it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting game, uh, nonetheless, to, just to see kind of how much different, you know, this 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 game works. You know, with uh, you know, with Notre Dame, their offense was, you know, Josh, you you, you mentioned they put up what five hundred something yards and uh, however many points, yeah, uh, forty seven points over five hundred yards. Yeah, Clemson so, had over four hundred yards on forty points. So, so there's this thing called momentum, yeah, um, and. With with Notre Dame's offense, uh, I, I think they were helped. They were they were obviously guided by three turnovers, um, eat and and obviously they they drew a lot of momentum being at home. They drew a lot of momentum uh, having Clemson's best player at the time. Uh, obviously, the best player now is number sixteen. Uh, he takes the snaps at quarterback, but uh, in that game, all eyes were on ETN, and when ETN started struggling, that gave Notre Dame that gave their entire team a lot of confidence. And then Clemson just couldn't, they just couldn't hang that night. Uh, and, and they didn't have it in them. And and I think Trevor Lawrence does that for this entire Clemson team is he, he kind of energizes that team because that defense knows, Hey, we can be a lot more aggressive. Now we got 16, 16 is going to come, come save us, come bail us out. I don't know if he can, uh, cause Notre Dame is a, is a dang good football team and, and they can rack up the yards and run up the points. Uh, but I, I think there's something to be said that, you know, when when Notre Dame's defense plays extra aggressive, it's because they know Ian Book and Kyron Williams are over there on offense and, and they're going to do their thing. When Clemson's defense plays lights out, they know they can be a little bit more aggressive because they know 16 is going to bail them out. When Ohio State, when they play aggressively on defense, they know Justin Fields is over there. He can, he can get us out of a lot of bad situations. You know, these teams with great offenses – really fuel their defenses to, to play more aggressively. And so you'll see a different style, I think, uh, with, with, with Clemson and Brent Venables because he knows he has he has sunshine there to, to bail him out. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out, honestly. Um, you know, I, I want to see what Ian Book can do against, uh, you know, against this defense the second time around now that they have film on him. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got actual experience against them. They know how, they, they know how, how Notre Dame hurt them. And so, and, and Notre Dame knows how Clemson can hurt them too. So, I mean, I think too, you know, this is going to be a, this is going to be a fun game to watch. Let's just be honest about that. Josh, assuming it goes how Vegas expects it to, and Clemson wins, does that really matter for Notre Dame? I mean, are they in the playoff even if even with a loss here? Ooh, that's a great question. They certainly got helped out by Florida getting upset a week ago. I, um, I say yes. Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12, you got to figure, is going to be a non-factor. Just the sample size on USC is too low, and they haven't looked like a contender. Um, I think Oklahoma, with two losses over Notre Dame, that feels like a stretch. Um, Notre Dame also has the most impressive victory of any team on the season. Exactly, exactly. That's their. I mean, they deserve it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, 
because it's Notre Dame and everybody kind of rolls their eyes at Notre Dame. But they, I mean, they actually deserve it this year. They're really good. I think the worst case scenario for Notre Dame is if this game gets away from them and they lay an absolute stinker, let's say they lose like 49 to 7, and Oklahoma rolls and just demolishes Iowa State. I think that the perception will suddenly be, oh, hey, the Sooners are back and the Irish are what we thought they were, an overrated team. And then you'll get Bama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and then then that fourth team is going to be the wild card. Who will it be? I don't know. Maybe it'll be Cincinnati if things shake out. Maybe... A&M you know, probably. You know, yeah, I would say yeah, A&M. Yeah. I think maybe, A&M's going to get them before A&M's Oklahoma. I don't think you I don't think you can put a two loss Oklahoma team in over you know, especially a, with their track record of just getting destroyed that's true. in this playoff. The games. other the other crazy X factor is we haven't even brought up Ohio State. No, we'll talk about them here in a little bit. They're but in. first, <laughs> I want to talk about well, the, if they the, win, the, the, the if they win they're in. <laughs> If they yeah. win, they're in. A and M, A and M has got to hope that Notre Dame wins. That's their only hope. Yeah, A and M needs a lot because that dominoes. knocks Clemson out. Yeah, A and M needs a lot of help. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a team that is with a win, the lock of all locks to go in Alabama, and the team that lost their chance last week by throwing a shoe, Florida. <laughs> oh, shoes. The- this one seems to be a foregone conclusion at the at the uh, at, at the Big Ben Stadium there in Atlanta. I mean, is there anything? I mean, Florida's defense is not that great. They gave oh, a- Matt, you're 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 trying to polish it up. Um, I mean, their total defense—they rank 50th in the country. They're fifth in the a, SEC. That's the definition of mediocre. It's but- it's. You know, but I, look look at the company they keep to get a better idea of what those numbers actually mean. Points per game, they allow twenty six point three. Who else is in the twenty six point range? Boise State, Miami. Okay, you could say Boise State got blown out by BYU. They haven't played many games that messed up their stats. Miami just had that weird game with North Carolina. Okay, maybe their stats are a little skewed. Twenty six point four. Kentucky. No one in the universe thinks Kentucky's a good football team. Cal. No one in the universe thinks Cal is a good football team. The Louisville Cardinals, 26.6, losing record. Miami Redhawks, 26.7 points per game, losing record. So you are the company you keep. How about yards allowed per game? They're at 384.7. Two spots ahead of them, Baylor, worst team in the Big 12. Other than Kansas. <laughs> One spot ahead of them. Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, coach, I'm trying to remember. They didn't do anything in the SEC, right? They're the second worst team in the conference after Vanderbilt. Yes. Although they're, uh, they're surging it and they're getting better. Yeah. Uh, 384.8. UCLA Bruins. They had a f- okay season. They're kind of the outlier here. And then next up, 385.5. Navy. Awful this year. So... The overall number, as Matt points out, might not be as atrocious as you think, but when you break down some of the numbers and see the teams that they are next to living on that block, it looks really bad. And I think Alabama is going to score a whole lot, 
and their offense or their defense is going to make Trask's day pretty miserable and hold Florida to somewhere in the vicinity of not a lot. I'm expecting a blowout. I expect it to be over by halftime. Oh, right. Well, then, uh, Coach, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, is it going to be the Devonta Smith show again? And do you think yeah. that we could see him, if he has a big game, could we see a wide receiver win the Heisman for the first time since Desmond Howard? I would love to see a wide receiver win the Heisman for the first time since Desmond Howard because I think I, I think he deserves it. He's the best player in college football. But unfortunately for Devontae, if he goes off in this game like he has been all season, they will give the credit to Mac Jones. They'll probably get he'll probably win Mac Jones the Heisman and Mac Jones will be like, Okay, I'm gonna put your name on the back here just so everybody knows, you know, you're like the co Heisman here. But um yeah, it's gonna I mean Florida's going to have a hard time containing this offense. It's going to be ugly. I mean, it's not going to be just the Devontae Smith show. Najee Harris is going to be like, hold up. I'm getting in on the action because they, you know, with with, uh, with what they did against Georgia um, and what they did against some of these higher, you know, more successful running teams in their loss to Texas A&M, Isaiah Spiller went off. Uh, Georgia had success on the ground. Like they, they have a hard time stopping the run, and that's that's where Najee, that's where Alabama like sneaks up on you. Like everybody's like, oh, Devontae Smith, John Mechie, um, Forstall, you know, the 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 passing attack, and then all of a sudden, bam, they gash you eight yards of carry, and 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 Najee Harris is you know having a big game. So I mean, I, I think Alabama can can break your back so many different ways that I just don't think Florida can hang, and Florida's going to score more points that everybody's probably thinking that they will. This will be a, a high-scoring blowout. Um, and and it, they'll trade touchdowns early because Alabama's going to have a hard time with Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney. Uh, but I think once they kind of start to figure him out, I, I think if Bama can get a two, three punts in the first half, I think that, that that'll be enough for them to, to get some cushion, um, and then that, that'll, that'll spark the blowout. Um and if you look at a lot of Alabama's closed games, it was that one or two punts that they forced. Uh, or, or when I say look at Bama's close games, they haven't really had any. But uh, there were some games that were close at times, at point like close to halftime. Yeah, but they, the Georgia they game. The Georgia game. Uh, the A&M game was actually pretty tight for a little while, and then, then they pulled away um, because they were able to stop them and then hit them with big plays. So what that does um, – Getting hit with a big play, like a 90-yard touchdown over the top to Devontae Smith, that was a backbreaker in the Georgia game, um, is it forces opposing coaches to panic a little bit and saying, oh, God, like we have to score now. So coaches coaches get out of their game plan, uh, even though they have plenty of time and even though the score is not, is not in blowout range, they feel that pressure of, they're going to do this to us again. They're going to do this. They're going to do this again and again and again and again and again. We can't stop it. So now we have to get extra aggressive. That's when turnovers happens. That's when three and outs and stall outs happen. That's when big plays happen. Things like that. And that's where Alabama's like. That's where they got you, because they 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 can, and they will, and they force that panic. So for Florida. They just have to. They just have to keep doing what they're doing. Keep it tight. Obviously, keep doing what they're doing. Move the sticks. Uh, kill some clock, and then hit them with big plays like like they like they can if they want a chance to win this game. All right. Well, 
One of the other interesting matchups for the weekend is going to be Northwestern and Ohio State. Ohio State is undefeated, but they've only played five games. Northwestern was rolling right along, and then they lost to Michigan State, who is not a good team. You know, by the transit of property, Rutgers beat Michigan State. Michigan State beats Northwestern. Maybe Rutgers should be in this game josh but (laughs) that's a stretch eh, well you know i tried i tried (laughs) um i don't even know what to make of this one if you look on paper i mean ohio state should absolutely blow northwestern out of the water they're averaging nearly 200 yards a game more in total offense um and in total defense the teams are relatively similar within 40 yards of each other so i you know, is there any chance, Josh, that the Wildcats can pull off the big, big upset? And if so, what do they need to do? Well, the the Michigan State game, first of all, you can explain it away a little bit with Northwestern had a slew of turnovers. They had four turnovers in that game. The rest of their games, they had flipped that. They were very secure with the ball and took advantage of their opponent's mistakes, the most obvious example of this being their one-point win in Iowa City against my Hawkeyes. So that right there is something they can do. If they win the turnover margin, sets them up for potential to hang in this game. We saw Indiana do something very similar in their seven-point loss. They had quite a few takeaways from the Buckeyes. Um, The other thing that Northwestern does is, yeah, the total yardage are fairly close, but Northwestern is a Stingy, stingy defense inside the 30-yard line. Um, Their 30-yard defense in has been great this year. It's resulted in them holding opponents to just 14.6 points per contest. That's second best in the entire country. So, you know, they might give up eight really long drives, but if six of them end in field goals then you're going to kind of have a chance to maybe hang around a little bit so they can do that. Um, The big thing, I think, for Northwestern, though, is they've actually been here before. A couple years ago, they came in with, I honestly think, a much worse team against a much better Ohio State team, and they only lost by 21. So Fitz has been through this now. He knows kind of what to expect. He can communicate that with his team a little better. I don't expect them to be, like, stunned about playing under the lights. Um, The quarterback they have going into this game, as opposed to a few years ago, uh, no disrespect to Clayton Thorson, I don't think he's as good a quarterback as who Northwestern is rolling with this season and the Indiana grad transfer who we've talked quite a lot about. But in case you are new to the show and you haven't heard us talk about Peyton Ramsey yet, I'll name drop him again. So I think there are things going in Northwestern's direction. A lot of it is going to have to tip the scales. I mean, that turnover margin, I think it needs to be three, nothing, four, nothing type thing. Um, They're, Defense is going to have to be the most stingy it's been all year. And their offense is going to need to take advantage of every opportunity. If that defense 
intercepts the ball and they're on the Ohio State side of the 50 already, that can't be a three and out. That has to be a touchdown right there. So it's going to be a challenge. Obviously, the odds makers are picking Ohio State big, and that's the smart thing to do. Uh, yeah, it's a 20-point spread, I think. Yeah, but, um, you know, Northwestern is really well coached. There's a reason why uh, there's been rumors about Fitzgerald to the Bears. So, I mean, Northwestern is an interesting case. Whenever you think they're going to zig, they zag. Everyone expected them to demolish Michigan State. They didn't. Everyone expected them to lose to Wisconsin. They didn't. So, uh, strange team to figure out. But uh, I think they hang around a little bit longer than people expect. And if that spread gets covered, I think it happens more in the fourth quarter as uh, the talent kind of breaks down Northwestern. But I think that defense will give the Bucks some fits, at least in the first half. Yeah, I'll tell you, a team that's not tough to figure out is Ohio State. Um, here's some trends when I was uh, kind of looking up some information on this game. Uh, the Buckeyes have won 20 consecutive conference games by an average of 26 points per game. Uh, they're 3-2 and two against the spread this season. Ohio State has won the last eight meetings against Northwestern by an average of 39.9 points per game. Um, they uh, The last time they played, uh, Ohio State won 52-3. Uh, Justin Fields, they're going to have to figure out what to do with him and how to slow him down. That's uh, If they can answer that, I guess Pat Fitzgerald does need to get hired by the Bears, but um, They'll be the first team to ever figure out Justin Fields if that exactly, happens. Exactly. Uh, so it'll it'll be up to the guys in the NFL to try to figure out Justin Fields, which they're a little bit they're probably a little bit better. Um, so I, I think that you know obviously Justin Fields is going to do his thing, right? We're 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 not you know, as long as as long as Ohio State takes care of the ball, I, I think this this point spread is is going to be easy for for Ohio State to uh, to to cover because I, I think. If you give Ohio State a chip, which they don't need a chip on their shoulder, they're already good. Uh, but all these people talking about how they don't deserve to be there, that's going to give Justin Fields a chip on his shoulder. That's going to give this Buckeye team a chip on their shoulder, and they're going to play it on an even higher level, in my opinion. I, I think, and this is no shot at Northwestern, they just don't have a chance. They're, they're walking into a buzzsaw, man. There's nothing they can do about it. Um so I, I think it's you know Northwestern's only chance is for is to win the turnover margin and and have those turnovers be catastrophic style turnovers probably preferably one in special teams and and a pick six or like a scoop and score or something where they got like a two yard field or something to kind of to kind of steal momentum they might have to get a little tricky steal a possession here or there. Um, you know they're they're gonna have to really dig deep, dig deep into their bag of trips I, tricks. I don't think they can beat them straight up. Well, let's then move over to the Big Twelve and a game that or a team I should say, Josh. You mentioned earlier in Oklahoma, they have to take on Iowa State in the title game, and this is going to be an interesting one as far as I'm concerned because Iowa State is a relatively under-the-radar squad in terms of top 10 teams. And if you mentioned a two-loss Oklahoma team making into the playoff, well, I would think a two-loss Iowa State team, if they're able to beat Oklahoma again this season, is an even more interesting team because they're already ranked number six. And 
they are on fire of late you know in their they've been scoring a lot given it's against teams like Kansas Baylor and West Virginia but they have a as good a quarterback running back combo in Brock Purdy and Brees Hall as you're going to find in college football this season so even though Oklahoma i believe is favored in this game which I mean, yes, Oklahoma's is going to be a pub, quote unquote public team. They're the bigger name brand. I still think that Iowa State has a great shot in this one. They do. And it all starts with something the Big 12 is not known for, and that is defense. Now, if you look at Iowa State's yards allowed, it's not like incredible, but you notice a little something that there's only one or two Big 12 teams above them, uh, Oklahoma and West Virginia. So Iowa State's defense holds their own. They're going to need to do that against Oklahoma again. Obviously, when they played the first time, they held the Sooners to 30 points, a little bit below their average. Um, Same thing with points per game. Iowa State's holding their own there. So their defense needs to play another great game. What I'm curious about, though, is when we talked about Oklahoma at the beginning of the year and some of their issues, we highlighted Spencer Rattler playing like a freshman, and he made some freshman mistakes. So I was looking at his numbers. I was going to see, okay, has he grown since the last time we really checked in on him. And the answer is somewhat. Um, He still has thrown interceptions. He's got seven interceptions on the year, um, with two of those coming in his last three games. Uh, He only has uh, a handful of games where he was clean in the interception chart. So he's still a little erratic with the ball. His 19 sacks on the year, someone that's offensive line, someone that's holding out of the ball too long. Well, seven of those 19 have come in the last two games. Um, against Baylor, he was 20 of 28, which is a really nice percentage, but only 193 yards. That's not a very good uh, yards per completion rate right there. Um And ultimately, his quarterback rating was just 44.2. So he didn't look very good uh, the last time out against one of the worst teams in the country and the second worst team in the Big 12. Um, He was pretty good against Oklahoma State. I think that would probably be his best game if you break it down. But he only completed 17 passes out of 24. And yeah, they were huge chunk plays, which Coach loves to talk about, for 300 yards and four touchdowns. Um, But again, he also got sacked three times in it. So, you know, I think the—I could keep going with these numbers, but I think the general theme is he still looks like a freshman. He's gotten a little bit better, but you also always worry about that freshman wall. And I'm wondering if after his Texas Tech game, which was really good, uh, he came back to earth a little bit against Kansas of all teams. 
and then played well against Oklahoma State, and then really came back to earth against Baylor. My worry is he's progressed a little bit, but he might be hitting that ceiling as a freshman. He might also be hitting that freshman wall. If he doesn't live up to the standards that Oklahoma thinks he has, I think it's going to be really hard for the Sooners to win this game. Because you mentioned it, Matt, Iowa State has a really good offense. In the past, we've seen the Cyclones have a good defense that lets them steal a few games. This year, they're the complete package. They're getting great play from Brock Purdy. They're getting phenomenal play from Brees Hall. I think that the Oklahoma State, or excuse me, the Oklahoma defense, while the numbers are improved, we've still seen many a times this year them out of position, taking bad angles, taking poor uh, form tackles. They are a defense, especially against Kansas State way back in September, that was not living up to their potential. And I'm sure Oklahoma fans are saying, well, we fixed that, we fixed that. But the problem is, who have you fixed it against? Your last few games have been TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas, Baylor, all with losing records, and Oklahoma State, who... Is a shell of themselves. Yeah, I mean, they face plant every time in Bedlam. So you can tell me that your defense is vastly improved. I haven't seen it against anybody. So I, you know, I think the Cyclones have a great, great opportunity. Um, I did misspeak. I just checked it. I thought TCU for some reason was five and six. They're actually six at four. So they did have a win against a team with a winning record uh, other than Oklahoma State in that winning streak here. But the point still stands that Oklahoma hasn't had this defensive renaissance against somebody of note. Coach, do you have anything to add to that? Wow, I think uh, that was about as most comprehensive of a Big 12 preview as I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, the combination of your cousin, Ronnie Perkins, and uh, basketball legend Isaiah Thomas on the Oklahoma defensive line is going to make make things tough for, for Brees Hall in, in, in the running game. I, I think that Oklahoma's definitely, definitely improved and just kind of figured themselves out uh, since dropping those two games early in the season. Um, I, I think Spencer Radler, yes, he still needs to improve on taking care of the football. Uh, those are still the remnants of the freshman play that he has. Um, and I, I think that if he can take care of the ball, Oklahoma will win this game. For Iowa State, they have to be stingy defensively. They have to disguise coverages, play game, and realize that you have a freshman back there or over there at, at quarterback. And so you can put heat on him, disguise coverages, uh, and and disrupt passing lanes, things like that. And I think you'll have a good chance against Oklahoma. This game is is going to be a tight one. I, I I like it a lot. Uh, Oklahoma is uh, minus six uh, favorites, but you know I, I was going to ask you guys, uh, Matt. I'll, I'll ask you uh, what. How much does the experience of playing in this game, especially for the fourth straight time uh, for Oklahoma, and they've played in a, a bunch of other times prior to that. Uh, I think they took a brief uh, brief break from it uh, one year. And, but how much does experience in this game matter uh, for Oklahoma and the lack of experience in this game 
or any game of this magnitude for Iowa State. How does that how does that factor in? I it's 2020, so I think it's way less of a factor than it would be in other seasons. And what I there what I is hate, go sorry, ahead, Josh. No, no, you, you finish. You finish. Well, the other thing I was gonna the other thing I was gonna say is that a program like Oklahoma has so much turnover year to year. Like if you if you look at it, if you look at how many new guys are in major roles this year, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So saying that they have that experience, well, yes, as a program they do, and some guys have that experience, but Spencer Rattler doesn't. If you look at the you know the rest of their backfield, a lot of their offensive line, the defense. I mean, they're without their best defensive player from last year and Kenneth Murray. Yes, yeah. they they've had they've had an emerging star there in Nick Bonito. I don't know if you guys have been following, but he's probably the best defensive player in the Big Twelve this season for Oklahoma. He is an absolute animal when it comes to getting after the quarterback. But I still, you know, he's still a guy who this is his first season of really doing it. And so I think that especially in this season, I know Josh is probably about to contradict me saying that I shouldn't be using 2020 as an excuse, but I think that in this season, much more so than others, it, this experience matters even less. No, I I agree. What I was going to say, what I hate is, you know, this big 12 title game is an absolute joke every year in that this is the only conference that prides themselves on playing a full round robin. We play everybody. We play everybody. One well, true you, champion, Josh. Yeah. Well, when you do that, you don't need a conference title game. So in short, what you're doing is you're telling all your programs, not named Oklahoma and Texas. Congratulations. You had the best season you've had in a hundred years it doesn't mean diddly squat because now you have to do a whole nother rematch. Oklahoma had their chance already. They blew it. They lost Iowa State heads up. Iowa State's the champion if this league had any credibility. The leagues that have a championship game have it because they have real divisions and they don't have a round robin. Alabama did not play Florida this year. So this is a new matchup. Those two teams navigated their division. And sure, if Georgia had won it, we would have had a rematch with Georgia and Alabama, but the argument would have been lessened because the SEC's had a title game and divisions since either the 80s 90, or 90s. 92. It was 92. Yeah. They made a documentary about it. You should yeah. go watch it. So good. that is expected. The Big 12 for a really long time, was the Big 8, and then they randomly got some SWAC teams, had some divisions that were laughable because you had one division really good and the other division was Nebraska and five teams that didn't know their ass from their elbow when they played football. And so it was a pointless conference then until Kansas and Bill Snyder got to the title game a few times. Thank you, Al Roberson. And then, then they have part of their conference leave and they're back under 12 teams and they're like, well, let's try and save Texas and Oklahoma. Let's always make sure we give them two bites at the apple. So that way we can have our conference champion. And it's just stupid. I, you know, if Iowa state loses this game, the whole 
world is going to be talking about college football world. Not, I don't think people in Bangladesh care too much, but the whole college football world is going to be talking about, well, oh, Oklahoma's won another conference title. They've done it. They've done it. They're the best program in the, in the conference. And it's like, yeah, but they weren't the best team this year. They got to win this arbitrary matchup that was thrown together out of some BS conference rules. I hate this title game. And it's why I'm going to be rooting for Iowa State. And the best way I root for, for Iowa State is by actually not watching a second of their game. I swear whenever I flip over to their games, they immediately start playing horribly. So I am going to just stay away, refresh the score on my phone, and be supporting them the best way I can. All well right. said. I think we're all rooting for Iowa State. I just think Oklahoma, I, I, I don't know. I Third time's I, a charm. I think the entire country, other than Sooner fans, are rooting for Iowa State. Yeah, that much is obvious. Because no one really dislikes Iowa State. No. Pe- I, people have a strong disdain for Oklahoma for a variety of reasons. So, I, Will any, also anyone with any passing knowledge of this sport knows that Iowa State is, as I like to describe, a bridesmaid program. They never get to have their day. All right. Well, finally, the last Power Five championship game is being played in the Coliseum in Los Angeles tonight, actually. We're recording this on a Friday. Oregon and USC, probably the least important of the title games because, let's face it, even if USC beats this Oregon team that is in a free fall, it's not going to matter. They're not making the college football playoff. So I guess, Corey, I will start by asking you, does this game even matter? It doesn't, uh, unless you are a fan of either one of these programs. Uh, I I think, uh, or if you are a player, or if you're a draft scout and you're looking at these two teams, or if you're an Auburn fan, uh, you're probably watching this game pretty closely because this might be your next head coach, Mario Cristobal. So um, I, I think that uh, it'll be a fun game to watch, I think, because both teams will come out here and sling it. Um, USC is one of those teams, they're playing really well right now, but I still, and I don't think I'll ever trust this group uh, because, you know, they could let me down at any moment, but I, I think that Keaton Slovis is playing playing pretty well right now. Um, overall, I, I think, you know, obviously UC, the UCLA game was was a little bump in the road there for, for USC. They ended up winning it, but it, it wasn't it wasn't a game that you're going to write home about if you're if you're a Trojan fan. But I think overall, if you look at Keaton Slovis's body of work, he has kept uh, USC undefeated uh, so far this year. Uh, Oregon is a team that, again, they're in disarray uh, and they're in this game, honestly, because Washington was unable to play and they were the next best team because they beat Stanford. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if if uh if if they can do do much against USC uh, i think USC is a team that can definitely start fast on you uh, i know josh you like to talk about sleepy starts USC is not a <laughs> not typically a sleepy start season um I, and and i i'm always going to point to or if uh if Oregon wants to get some good tape on how to stop that slow or how to stop the fast starts do not watch the the Washington state tape uh, watch the Arizona and UCLA tapes. Uh, Arizona State, I'm throwing that one out the window because it was Pac-12. It was brunch with the Pac-12, <laughs> and so uh, or breakfast actually. Uh, it was uh, touchdowns and eggs. 
and uh, USC had their touchdowns uh, scattered, covered, and chunked uh, in the Arizona State game. But uh, the Arizona and UCLA games, they got off to slow starts, but they ended up pulling out and winning uh, and, and pulling out those victories. So if Oregon wants any chance to, to make this a game, they have to start well against USC. And, and if they watch those two tapes, I think that'll give you a, give, give you a good uh, indicator on how to do that. Well, here's the worry for the Oregon fans is their two losses are completely different. So there isn't one thing to necessarily fix. Against Oregon State, they gave up over 500 yards of offense. They had that terrible fourth quarter collapse. They gave up 22 points to their in-state rival, and the Beavers pulled off a huge win in their rebuild efforts. Part of the problem was three turnovers. Oregon State had none. Then they followed up with a Cal game. This was the total opposite. This was a defensive slugfest, 21-17. Oregon was held scoreless in the second half. Both teams combined for Bupkiss in the fourth. Cal had fewer yards than Oregon. The Oregon Ducks had two turnovers, so we get some sloppy play. Oregon was awful on third down in that game. So you have the defensive breakdown one week, and then you have the offensive breakdown the next week. And if you're Mark Cristobal and that staff, you're thinking, great, we have two totally different issues We fixed one after the Oregon State game, and our defense played a lot better, but then we had this second issue pop up. They would have loved to have gotten to work out some of those kinks against Washington and winner-take-all for the Northern Division. That game got canceled. And then they're sitting at home going, well, you know, Washington's in the title game, and now suddenly they're not. So a unenviable position to put it mildly for Oregon having to play a really good USC team probably not a great USC team but one that has a really special quarterback on the road after three pretty lousy weeks for Oregon two losses and a canceled game uh you know maybe the Ducks are excited for a conference championship and they gel here late but uh I think even before the losses, we saw some disorganized chaos. I mean, they beat UCLA by a field goal. Uh, They struggled at times still pulling away late against Washington State. Um, I think Oregon just had so many pieces to replace coming into the year that they're playing kind of like what I expected. It's why I had the Trojans as my conference champion pick way back when we previewed the conference. All right. Well, let's then finish out our weekend preview with some spread formations like we always do. Last week, we all went two and one because two of the games that we previewed got canceled between the time we recorded and the time that the games were actually played. So we would have won those. Yeah, Yeah. always. Uh, So for the season, Josh, you're 35 and 32. I'm 34 and 33. Coach is 30 and 37. We are going to start with the Mountain West title game here in spread formations. And that pits Boise State, who's there every year, against a new challenger to the throne. And if their season hadn't started so late, I think this team would be up in terms of Cinderella stories with Coastal Carolina, San Jose State, 
the undefeated Spartans of San Jose State, ranked number 24 in the country, 6-0. and Nick Starkle doing some great work behind center for the Spartans. Despite all of that, Boise State, the public team, six-and-a-half-point favorites in the neutral site game at Sam Boyd Stadium, home of the UNLV running Rebs. Josh, the, the, the UNLV plays in the Raiders stadium. It's it hasn't been used all season. It's an empty stadium. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's embarrassing. So nonetheless, Josh, it's your turn to go first this week. Boise State six and a half point favorites in the neutral site. Who do you like? Well, there's such um, lack of information on these Mountain West teams because they started so late and then they've had some very goofy schedules. For instance, Boise State uh, started out 2-0, and then lost to BYU, then won their next two games to get to 4-1. and Then they have back-to-back canceled games. Then they barely beat Wyoming. So Boise State, uh, kind of an unknown entity here over the last three weeks of the season. I don't really like that. Uh, San Jose State has been just kind of plodding along. And what I absolutely loved about their last time out is they were down fairly big at halftime against a really good Nevada team, and they rallied back to win. Never a wise thing to go against Boise State, but when two things are kind of unknown, since their sample size is so small, I am going to go with my heart this week, and I'm going to take the sentimental favorite, a... Another program that has been on the wrong side of history most of their their uh, past. And I'm going to take San Jose State to cover because I think they pull off the upset and win. Coach. All right, Cinderella. Um, I'm not going to pick the Spartans uh, because I actually want them to win. So I'm going to pick Boise. They're going to cover. Uh, they are the uh, – even though they're very unhappy with being in the Mountain West – um, they, their, their coach, Brian Harrison has wanted, uh, has actually, uh, emailed his admin to, to beg them to get out of the conference. I think they're going to win this game, uh, on the neutral site. I, I think they're going to be, uh, you know, San Jose state's going to be so excited to be there. Um, but I do think they're going to put, put some heat on Starkle and they're D- going does to, does he want to go independent or I don't know where he wants to go, but he doesn't want to be in the mountain West. So, uh, that's all I know. He's he's unhappy in the Mountain West. Maybe he wants to join uh, Big Twelve. Yeah, he wants to join the Big Twelve. I think that's the only home for them. Yeah, and I I can't wait for uh, those athletic budgets to come out to to figure out how uh, the golf program from Boise State will travel to West Virginia to Morgantown. (laughs) Yeah, Um, maybe he should just go Big Sky. Ooh, yeah. Um, No, I, I think Boise's gonna gonna win this game. It'll be it'll be tight. Uh, but I think they do barely cover. Um, they'll, they'll they'll cover. They'll win by a touchdown. Uh, San Jose State's pretty pretty stingy. They're pretty good. They're I, I never thought I'd say this about San Jose State, but they're they're playing some good football. And uh, Nick Starkle, former SEC quarterback, uh, by way of the Aggies and the Hogs. So give me uh, give me Boise though. Yeah, I'm taking the Spartans. I'm I, I still think that the glass shoe is still fitting at the moment. I love the way that they're playing. So I'm gonna take San Jose State. Next, let's have, head over to the American Conference. American. 
Tulsa and undefeated Cincinnati uh, ranked matchup. Cincinnati is a 14 point favorite at home at Nippert Stadium for the AAC title. Eight no Cincinnati, six and one Tulsa. Josh, what side are you on? Well, Tulsa has had a strange, strange season to say the least. Uh, they opened with a narrow loss at Oklahoma State, which should have been our first sign of, oh, wait, maybe Oklahoma State's not as good as we think they are. And then <clears throat> here's an interesting schedule after that Oklahoma State game. Postponed against Arkansas State, upset Central Florida. Postponed against Cincinnati, dominated awful South Florida, squeaked by a pretty poor East Carolina team. Navy, postponed. Beat SMU, who was ranked at the time. Beat Tulane. Houston, postponed. Navy, made up and beat them. Um, the unfortunate thing for Tulsa is they never got to play Cincinnati. So we don't know what they would have looked like. Um, Houston was all sorts of a disaster this year, but they are also very talented because they've had some good recruiting classes. It would have been interesting to see them against Houston. Um, as much as I love Tulsa getting to this title game, the fact is that they beat a banged up SMU team and upset Central Florida. And that was way, way, way back in the first month of the season. So I'm going to go with a little bit more of a sure thing. I think Cincinnati wins this game. What I am curious about for Cincinnati is they've had their last two games canceled. They're ninth in the polls right now. How much would they have climbed if they obliterated Temple and then beat a ranked Tulsa team and then swept this Tulsa team in the conference title game? I think that the committee is absolutely in love with the fact that they didn't have to answer the Cincinnati question because the committee are a bunch of gutless old people who don't watch any games other than Alabama and Ohio State games because they want to pencil them in every goddamn year. Tell us how you really feel, Josh. <laughs> I like the I like the American commissioner said so we got to go back to the BCS. You really shouldn't hold back. <laughs> Um, well, uh, this, the two, the two week layoff for Cincinnati and a 14 point spread against a team that's been very, very, uh, very good. Uh, although it kind of erratic and kind of crazy how their season has played out. Um, it kind of scares me. Um, you know, 14 points, two week layoff, you, you know, you think it's going to be kind of sloppy at first, but you know, I think Cincinnati is, you know they were a playoff team before the two game layoff. I I, I was I, I'm still bought into the fact that I think they're a playoff team. They're a playoff worthy team, I should say. Um, they are that explosive. They're that stingy on defense. I think they play great all around football. And and I think and as as I was thinking about the spread on this game, I was nervous and I was thinking I had I had Tulsa penciled in. I'm like I'm like yeah, Cincinnati's going to win this one, but Tulsa's going to cover. And for the for the for the fact that Tulsa may upset them, I'll be covered. But then I thought about, it, I was like, Nah, Cincinnati's going to wipe the floor with them, um, and they're going to cover. And I, I, so I'm going to pick I'm going to pick the Bearcats. Uh, they're at home. 
Uh, and they got a chip on their shoulder uh, because now they are denied from the college football playoff, and they're going to show everybody what they were missing. And they're going to get, they're going to win this game. They're going to get a Peach Bowl bid against the Dogs. So give me the give me the Bearcats. All right, let's make it a clean sweep for those Bearcats. I love Cincinnati. I think that Fickle's going to have those guys fired up and put even a bigger chip on their shoulder just because of what the committee has done to them. Next, let's head down to the Southeastern Conference. And an interesting one, LSU coming off of that big upset over Florida in the swamp last week. Somehow, though, Ole Miss is actually a two-point favorite in this one. I don't quite understand this, Josh. Nonetheless, who do you like here? I think... Ole Miss has that number because the common opponents Ole Miss has looked a tad better against, and Ole Miss has very quietly won three straight games. Granted, they've got two postponements in in there. That helps. And obviously, LSU needed a miracle to beat Arkansas, and then they got waxed against A&M Alabama before needing a shoe-related miracle to beat Florida. Um, I actually like Ole Miss in this game. Ole Miss has proven that they can score pretty much on everybody. I mean, they even put up 48 points against Alabama. And LSU's constant theme this year has been the defense has flatlined. So I am going to take the Rebels. I think they win, and I think they win by more than that two-point spread because... There's going to be hardly any fans. If this was a regular Death Valley, packed to the gills, night game, well, 2.30 afternoon game, I would have taken the Bayou Bengals. But with our funky COVID situation, these road games matter less in terms of home environment. I think the Rebels pull it off. Coach, you uh, running with the Rebs as well? Oh yeah, I'm buying in. I'm, I'm on the lane train, man. Fully aboard now. I uh, got a full season's body of work. And uh, if you would have told me that Ole Miss would be favored on the road at LSU this time last year, I would have been like, "Man, you crazy!" Uh, but Lane Train has done a tremendous job of getting these guys to to play way above their heads. Matt Corral has had a resurgence in his career. LSU, despite the effort uh, they had last week against Florida. Still can't really play defense. They still gave up 34 points uh, to Florida. Uh, Bo Pelini is still not a great defensive coordinator. And guess what Lane Kiffin likes to do? Score points. So I, I think Ole Miss may run away with this one. But I'm picking Ole Miss nonetheless. It's good. Mic drop. Well done, coach. Well done, coach. Um, so finally, or I shouldn't say finally, uh, our penultimate game that we're going to, oh, I should actually probably give my, I should give my pick there. Um, I assume you're, I just assumed you were agreeing with us. Uh, uh, no, I'm going go on the other side. I'm taking, I'm taking the Bayou Bengals. You would. I would. All right. Let's head then to the most played of all college football rivalries, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Camp Randall Stadium, Wisconsin, 12 and a half point favorites at home somehow, despite the fact that they've lost their last three games. Josh, well, who this, do you like? 
This spread implies that Wisconsin is capable of scoring 13 points. hey So, uh, look, here, here's the sad reality of it. The Minnesota Golden Gophers had over 30 players out against Nebraska. They were down at half, and P.J. Fleck rallied the troops, and they won in Lincoln. They also beat Purdue a few weeks earlier. They had two games canceled in between that. If Minnesota wins, they're above 500. They knock off their rival. P.J. Fleck is all about the master of this, like, small motivations, row the boat, all that stuff. The Gophers, believe it or not, have something to play for in this game. For Wisconsin, what is their motivation? We don't have a losing record. We go three and three. Uh, I don't see that really inspiring the troops. There's very, very, very clear issues with this team. Their last three games, they've produced seven points against Northwestern, six against Indiana, seven against Iowa. And against Iowa, they got a really short field off of a muffed punt. They probably could have, should have, and would have been shut out if it wasn't for that. So Gophers have more to play for. Gophers, despite all the COVID stuff, can still produce some points. Wisconsin's a train wreck. And even if they get some of their players back, like, for instance, Danny Davis, let's say he... He's not playing. They've, they've, they've already announced he's not playing. Okay. Neither well, Davis nor Pryor are playing at wide receiver. Well, I was going to say, even if they were, we treat Davis as like he was having an incredible season before getting hurt. His three catches on the year. So he would have been totally out of game condition, even if he was coming back. So I'm going to take the Gophers to cover because I don't think Wisconsin could score 13 points. And on top of that... As much as it pains me to say it as a Wisconsin alum, I think Golden Gophers win this game. Coach? Yeah, I was going to say something something screwed up in Wisconsin. I don't know if it's Joe Rudolph has got too much on his plate, if they need to restructure the offensive staff, if Paul Christ is kind of losing the locker room uh, with the whole Graham Mertz, Jack Cohn thing. Mertz has completely got the yips and lost his confidence. I don't, I've, I've never seen a quarterback look so great in the first game. Uh, get COVID, come back, and just have no mojo whatsoever. Uh, Wisconsin cannot take care of the football. They are struggling, struggling, struggling. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, help is on the way. They had a great, great signing class uh, two days ago on on Wednesday. Uh, So they've got some help coming along the way. So things are looking, the future's looking bright for Wisconsin down the road. The immediate future Saturday is not, however. I think Minnesota is going to help Wisconsin realize a lot of the problems that they have if they don't already realize them. And it's gonna this game is gonna force Paul Christ into some decisions that he does not want to make. And so I, I think Wisconsin need, needs a change at the offensive coordinator spot for sure. Um, you know, the defense can only hold you up so long uh before they break down. And, you know, Joe Rudolph just needs to go back to coaching the offensive line. There's nothing wrong with that. He's a great offensive line coach. And when he's strictly the offensive line coach, those guys are freaking hogs and bullies. But right now, his head's spinning so much that he can't figure out what he wants to do. And they're just not playing with any sort of inspiration or confidence whatsoever. 
Their season is lost. They know it, and they're going to play like it. And for them to be 12.5-point favorites either tells you that Minnesota's in worse shape or Vegas thinks they're in worse shape or – I don't know. I don't know where they got this spread from. I think Minnesota not only not only covers, but I think they win. And you know, I hate to say it because I do. Wisconsin is my favorite Big Ten team, uh, but it's just not going to happen for them this week. Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm very, very, very concerned about the Badgers. The offensive line looks terrible. They look terrible. They, they, at the end of the day, they simply look awful and it's embarrassing. And I don't know what has come of this team. The defense is still, is still very good. The defense is still very good in terms of yards per game. They're still number one nationally. The offense coach, you said Graham Mertz has the yips. I don't know what's happened to his footwork, but it's gotten so much worse. And I think part of that is the offensive line play has not been steady. Part of that is his, his receivers have been absolutely hot garbage. Da- Josh mentioned that Dane Davis only has three catches. Yes, he only has three catches, but he gets in the right position. He's able to open up things for guys like Jake Ferguson and Kendrick Pryor. And without Davis in Pryor, Again, it's you're looking at Chimery DK. I mean, Devin Chandler, another true freshman, has had a couple plays. EJ Abbott, who is a redshirt sophomore, who they were expecting a lot more out of is in his his career. He's had like one or two catches. I mean, they're gonna be without Jalen Berger again this weekend. I I can't say I think Minnesota's gonna win, but I do think Minnesota's gonna cover. So I will pick the goofs to cover and the badgers to win. Something like fourteen to twelve. All right. So we're going to uh, finish off with. There's no Kansas game this week. There's no Vanderbilt game this week, but there is a Rutgers game this week, and the line is not ridiculous. They are only six and a half point underdogs at home against uh, the <laughs> Scott Frost Nebraska team, which. Now that Scott Frost has the vote of confidence in Lincoln, that's good news for the rest of the Big Ten West because, Josh, they're probably going to be, I'm not going to say a pushover, but relatively easy pickings for a while. <laughs> yeah, what's funny about Rutgers this year is they are the bizarro West Virginia. All three of their wins have been on the road. <laughs> they haven't given uh, the home fans, obviously not a large crowd, but the friends and family that are allowed in the stadium. Haven't given them much to root for. Uh, in terms of common opponents, Rutgers has performed a lot better against two of the teams. Um, the one that Nebraska did better against was Penn State. But <clears throat> with uh, with not a lot to love about either of these two teams, as one rebuilds and the other is free-falling, I think you just have to take the coach in acumen. And you have Greg Schiano, a really proven coach, who's rebuilt Rutgers once already in his life, going up against Scott Frost, who inherited a Lamborghini with some dust on it from George O'Leary and drove it all right around the block. (laughs) And now he's got his own. He just went out and bought his own car, and he's driving into the ditch, if I can extend this metaphor. Uh, So I'm going to take Rutgers to cover, because I think it's more likely to see Rutgers actually win this sucker than it is for Nebraska to uh, play a good game. Coach. Wow, that was beautifully put. 
Uh, for the sake of watching Tennessee Was fans, it? I think it was a confused mess. <laughs> I mean that really well. Um, so, yeah, no, it was great. It was fun to listen to because uh, Nebraska, they are the ultimate like, man, we're Nebraska, yeah, and then they suck. They're like the Tennessee fans outside the SEC. Like Tennessee has been irrelevant for 20 years. And, you know, they really have been uh, outside of like 01 and 07 when they made the SEC championship game. They've been bad. Um, and that's kind of the same as, as, as Nebraska. And so I definitely understand uh, I definitely understand the vibe here. So for Nebraska fans and Tennessee fans alike, Rutgers winning this game would, would be awesome because of the fiasco that Tennessee fans had uh, when Greg Schiano was rumored to be hired by the Vols. That would be hilarious to watch the watch the reaction and the implosion of man. We hired we could have hired this guy, and uh, who who's got a uh, the equivalent of a uh, glorified high school team going on the road in Lincoln, Nebraska, and winning uh, against against Nebraska, and we got Pruitt who can't seem to quit getting out of his own way, you know. So I'm going to take Rutgers because I really want them to win. Um. I know I took Oklahoma because I really want Iowa State to win, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Rutgers here because I think they will do it, uh, and I want to be right. So uh, give me the Scarlet Knights, man. Uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, baby, Scarlet Knights all the way. That's all I got. I got I got, I got the Scarlet Knights. I got chop that wood. Chop it, baby. Chop that wood. Yep, and. You know, we thought Scott Frost was a really good coach, and we were wrong. Don't include me in that. I uh, was skeptical. You can include me on that. I, I was, I was, I drank the Kool Aid. We, we, we were surprised when Oregon did not, when he went to UCF and Oregon did not uh, hire him instead. I believe when the, I think that was like the, was that the Willie Taggart year? I don't even quite remember. Anyway. It's starting to make sense now. Uh, yeah, it's starting to make sense now. So, nonetheless, I think that's going to wrap up our championship week preview. Unless, uh, Josh, you have anything else to add? Oh, you know I always have one thing to slip under at the very end of the show. Um, we could have an easy early prediction for the ACC. And that is Syracuse will finish near the bottom, if not dead last, because... You know, baby, I love this quote. This is from the uh, athletic director. The proverbial hot seat. Take that and just delete it. Wildcheck said, quote, Dino's going to be our coach in 2021. I hope he's our coach for a long time. He knows that. I want him to be. The university does. He doesn't enter 2021 on any kind of hot seat. It's all about what we can do to get better in 2021 and how we develop them. The offseason is going to be incredibly, incredibly important. If we can get them through a traditional year in strength and conditioning, if we can get through spring football, we need time to develop this team. But I'm supportive of Coach Babers. Um, what results in Dino Babers' career have indicated that he will guide them through the offseason if having a whole year under him will help in any way? They're drinking oh. some sort of Kool-Aid up there in Syracuse that I would I would like a sip of. This because is that a, sort of optimism is something that left my cold black heart a long time ago. This is a hey, can I see your athletic budget situation? Uh, 
what is the buyout? What are you on the hook for if you get rid of him? And it's got to be a lot. <laughs> yeah. So this is a hey, we're gonna we're just gonna take it on the chin for another year or two till that buyout gets a little lower. Uh, Josh, did you see that your ball coach Kirk Ferentz tested positive? He did. Well, you know, it's, he joins a a mighty good list of Big Ten coaches that have tested positive. Now, co- now COVID has by, entered the portal. Uh, yeah, highlighted by Mike Loxley. <laughs> Five Big Ten coaches have tested positive. So that we know of. Yeah. Who knows that's if true. there were any uh, preseason? That's well, true. Sure so, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here today on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach Corey Burton in the Music City, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Up there in the Windy City, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Merry Christmas! Happy New Year! And a joyous Kwanzaa to you all. Happy Christmahana Kwanzaa. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.